Thanks for tuning in today to localjobnetwork.com radio, where you can find all of your favorite employment-related shows. My name is Katie Chesney, and on Employment Notebook, we provide advice and insight into different strategies for succeeding in the workplace. And today, we are looking at HR and how to be successful in HR. And joining us today, we have Alan Collins, and he is the founder of Success in HR and author of Winning Big in HR. So, Alan, could you tell us about your background is and about your book and kind of why you decided to write a book about how to be successful in HR? Certainly. I'm a lifelong resident of Chicago, and I've been in HR my entire career. I actually stumbled into HR in college. I was a marketing major and had a summer job in marketing, but because of a mix-up in assignments, I wound up working in the HR department. Mm-hmm. And that was a life-changing experience for me. And as soon as I got back to campus, I changed my major. I went on to grad school in HR, and it was absolutely one of the best career decisions I made. Mm-hmm. And I've been in HR for 25 years. I've worked for three different companies. The last eight years of my corporate career, I was the vice president of HR for the Gatorade, Quaker Oats, and Tropicana businesses. That encompassed about 10,000 employees and supported about $9 billion in sales. And about five years ago, I decided that it was time for me to do my own thing. And so I left corporate America. And for the last five years, I've been writing, consulting, and speaking with a variety of organizations and specifically focused on HR professionals. And you ask about the book, the impetus for writing the book is really my way of giving back to the profession. There are in HR a variety of different books that are out there really geared for HR professionals. How do you recruit? How do you retain employees? How do you work with uh, frontline employees or union employees? There are just a whole host of books that are out there, but there was none that were out there that really addressed how the HR person should manage their own career. And so... That's really what winning big in HR is really all about. It's designed to be a manual for HR professionals to be helpful to them in managing their own career, really focused on some of the unwritten rules, some of the things that your boss may or may not share with you relative to your own movement and advancement in HR. Well, I am sure that those in the HR community really appreciate that you have written this entire book on those unwritten rules. And you really, I really like that you're giving back to the profession and you're telling people, you know, listen, I have, you know, I, I had a career in HR and I was very successful in HR and I want to share what I learned with you. From your experience in HR, what did you do that really helped you be successful in your career to get you to that, you know, capstone role where you, the, where you were the vice president and then you decided to kind of go out on your own? There are a couple things that I would cite. Uh, One would be, and it's sort of counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. I actually don't consider myself an HR person first. I actually consider myself a business person first and an HR person second. And by that, I mean, uh, one of the things that I think was helpful to me in my career was as I was working with folks in sales and marketing and manufacturing and customer service. I really tried to make sure that I understood the business at least as well as they did. Mm -hmm. And so that I could relate to them, talk their language. I would spend time with the salespeople, uh, particularly at uh, Quaker and Pepsi, 
when they were uh, calling on customers. I'd spend time in our manufacturing plants, really kind of understanding the way the product is made with customer service. I can't tell you how many times I've spent in our customer service group, kind of hearing them handle complaints from irate customers. Mm -hmm. And all of that was really helpful in understanding the business. And in fact, when I would meet with executives and leaders, I didn't talk HR first. I would always ask them how their business was going, you know, what some of their challenges were, et cetera. And that was helpful, I think, to me in being able to connect with them in a perhaps on a different sort of way, in a different sort of way, in a different kind of level. And so one of the things that I would say that was really helpful for me was uh, just thinking about myself in terms of being a business person first and an HR person second. The second thing I'd say is I created this term that I call the 5 a.m. wake-up test. Mm -hmm. And for me, uh, as I look back over all of the jobs that I had in HR, some of them I absolutely loved, some of them I didn't. And uh, the difference was when 5 o'clock in the morning came up, I was raring to go, anxious to jump out of bed, happy, satisfied, running (laughs) to the job. Those jobs that I hated, that wasn't the case. You know, it felt like uh, someone, you know, I needed a forklift, for example, to get out of bed. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what I tried to do in managing my own career and managing my own success was when I had a number of those days that I wasn't able to pass the 5 a.m. wake-up test, that was my clue that it was either time to not necessarily change jobs, but to change projects or approach the project in a much, in a different sort of way. And so that was the second sort of area that I uh, would point to that, at least for me personally, has been uh, helpful to me. It's even been helpful to me now as I've been uh, writing books and doing consulting. One of my asset tests that I take those assignments through is does it excite me enough to be able to draw me out of bed at 5 a.m. in the morning to work on it? And if it doesn't, then my gut tells me that it's probably not something that I'd be excited about or good at doing. Mm -hmm. And both of those things that you shared are, they're really good pieces of advice. You know, from an HR perspective, I'm not sure how many people think to really learn the business first. And that, I imagine, had a large impact on your career. And I think that other people out there who are in HR and are looking for ways to be successful and really understand their business, that would be a good way to kind of really get your feet wet and figure out what exactly are, you know, the people that you're supposed to be helping in your HR role, what they are doing and what their concerns are. So I really appreciate you sharing that. I think that's really, really a helpful piece of advice. Terrific. Thank you. Now, if you could have done anything differently in your career, um, you know, thinking back, whether it was a specific moment or just an idea, what would you change if you could go back and change something? Katie, there's a long list here, Mm -hmm. and we could probably spend the rest of the call talking about this, but I would say early in my career, I was entirely too complacent. Mm -hmm. I wasn't as aggressive as I needed to be in managing my own career. You know, I look back at my first job and the first three or four years of that first job, I essentially completed the projects. I completed the assignments. I did what was asked of me, but I really didn't go above and beyond to really differentiate myself from the rest of my colleagues or from the rest of the HR pack. And I paid a pretty heavy price uh, for it. I was passed over. The first 
three or four years, I was passed over three times okay. for promotions that I absolutely positively thought that I should have gotten. I didn't get them mm-hmm. for a couple of reasons. One, I didn't spend time building the necessary relationships with the people who were making those decisions, and nor was I proactive enough to go beyond you know the scope of my current job and put and you know, put myself on project teams or task forces in other areas that it would have given me more organization-wide visibility and would have broadened the kinds of choices that I might have had. I essentially, for the first three or four years, just did my job. And I expected that just like in school, you know, you do your job, you turn in the papers, et cetera, you get a grade and that your work will be acknowledged. That I learned, uh, it took me a long time to learn that that's just not the case, Mm -hmm. that you really do have to take the bull by the horns, take control of your own career, build the relationships, go beyond the scope of your role, and really market yourself as an HR professional in order to have opportunities to flow your way. That's a really uh, good tip, and I'm sure our listeners will be able to take from that and really put that into practice and maybe look at their own careers and say, am I being complacent? Am I doing this? And how can I change it? Absolutely. Now, I want to switch gears a little bit and kind of dive into what your book is about. And in your book, you share a collection over of over the um, 100 of the best job success strategies, advice, confessions, and stories and insights from your career and your experiences. So out of all the strategies that you share in your book, what is like the one that HR professionals can really take away from this conversation today and put into place to have a direct impact on their career just after listening to this podcast? I'd say one strategy, and it's not easy to put in place overnight, but it's one that I would suggest that HR folks begin to uh, work on right away. And it's a strategy I call Uh, having a godfather. Okay. And by that, I mean, it's having a person who is a sponsor, an influential advocate, someone who can act on your behalf. And I use the godfather analogy because in the old Marlon Brando movie, that's exactly what the godfather did. If you were supportive of the godfather, if the godfather was supportive of you, you could elevate yourself in the organization. Mm -hmm, Right. If he wasn't, then you got whacked. Mm -hmm. And so having a godfather is just absolutely essential. Before I have any of the uh, women to come down on me, uh, women can be be godfathers as well. Right. And it's having someone who will act on your behalf behind closed doors. I can't tell you how many situations that uh, I encountered personally where Without having a godfather, I would have either been out of a job or I would have missed an opportunity. Uh, one example that comes to mind was a number of years ago, I was on a corporate task force. Mm-hmm. And this was, a corporate, this was a task force to downsize the organization. And so we had a variety of HR people there on the force, on the, uh, in the group, as well as a number of business people. Right. And uh, once we did, uh, once we executed what we needed to do, we needed to find jobs in the organization. In the organization, right. we had downsized, and we had frankly worked ourselves out of jobs. Mm-hmm. And so, had I not had 
someone in the organization who was an advocate for me, who acted on my behalf behind closed doors, I was able to make a smooth transition from the task force into the next assignment. But again, without having that advocate behind closed doors that uh, can help make that happen, you can literally find yourself on the outside looking in. I've also had the reverse experience where, and it's a shame to use downsizing examples, but Mm -hmm. this is another one where I was in a a meeting where we were asked to uh, downsize, our HR group was asked to downsize our organization by 10%. And that would, uh, we had about 140 HR people there. And so that would have impacted, let's say, roughly 14 of them. Mm -hmm. And so, interestingly, we spent two days, it was myself and my peers on the executive uh, HR leadership team. And we went through the agonizing process of trying to determine who we were going to keep and who we were going to let go. And the first two categories of people were pretty easy to decide. We let the poor performers go. Mm-hmm. And we let go those people whose jobs we could probably eliminate. But there were four or five other slots we had to fill. And frankly, the people that we selected there uh, were people who had, frankly, godfathers in the room, mm-hmm. people who were advocates for them and helping to make the decision on their behalf. So if there's one thing that I would ask folks that really encourage them to do, is to really begin to look and build a strategy. And I talk about it in the book for having a godfather or a collection of godfathers there that can really assist you in your career. I like that you used an example of downsizing. That's not an easy thing to go through for anyone on either side of the table, but that's really, I think, the perfect example for having a godfather because at the end of the day, it can save your job. So I think I really appreciate that example that you shared. So thank you for that. Now, kind of along the same lines, can you share like a confession with us from your book? Um, You know, are there any misnomers or things about HR that HR professionals think they need to do, but it's really much different when you're actually, you know, in the role, you're doing it and you're trying to be successful? I'd say the, the one area that there is a misnomer about is the idea that you really can't measure the effectiveness of HR. Okay. Yeah, you you can. And the best HR professionals do have metrics and do provide metrics to the organization that demonstrate their value. It could be metrics like the percentage of high potentials we're able to retain or cost savings that we've been able to generate as a result of the implementation of a new HR program or As a result of changing our selection process for salespeople, we're able to show that there's more sales volume that's happened as a result of uh, raising our standards. And the best HR people are able to spend time crunching the numbers, providing the metrics, because that is essentially the way business is run. Mm -hmm. It's run by the numbers. And so going in and talking about, well, we've done a great job in elevating the morale in the organization. We are keeping people happy. We are uh, you know, minimizing the number of complaints. That really doesn't carry a whole lot of impact when at some point in your HR career, it's important to be able to demonstrate your value and the importance that metrics and numbers uh, have in being able to uh, communicate that to 
the organization helps bring additional credibility there. And I think there's a bit of a misnomer there, not as much as there used to be, mm-hmm. but the fact that the that HR is focused primarily on you know non-measurables and that it's concerned with uh, primarily keeping everyone happy. And that's it's not that we aren't. It's just that the best description that I would provide to folks is that HR really is all about driving business results mm-hmm. through people. And all of those words are real uh, important, and it's being able to demonstrate that clearly. And so I think being able to address that, address that misnomer is important. Now, one thing that really stuck out for me was that you said business is it's ran by numbers. And that really brought me back to the first tip that you shared with us is that you know, really understand the business first and then second, do your role as HR. So it seems to all kind of come back to this business portion of it and really understanding the business and then, you know, demonstrating your value within the business. Now, unfortunately, we are running out of time today. The clock is against us, but I wanted to give you the floor for like the last 30 seconds or so to share one final piece of advice with our budding HR professionals. So the floor is yours. Share what you will. I'd say there are two pieces of advice I'd love to leave people with. Mm-hmm. One is if you're in HR and you have aspirations to either move into an executive role or to start your own business or be a consultant or whatever, really follow your dreams and don't mm-hmm. let anybody talk you out of them. The reason I say that is that I recently did spend a whole day going through a program where I did a lifeline exercise and it forces you to look look over the peaks and valleys of your career. Okay. And it looked forced me to look at failures and disappointments. For the first time I found out that I interviewed for twenty four jobs that I never got, that I got passed over six times in my career for positions again that I thought I was a lock for. But but in the process of doing that I found out that some of the biggest successes that I had followed some of the biggest valleys and downfalls that I had. And so it's easy to get knocked down, particularly in HR when you're dealing with the people side of the business. I would just ask those people who are in HR that whatever dreams that you have in HR, follow them and don't let anyone push those aside. Well, there you have it. And with that final piece of advice, that will close the show out for today. And I just want to thank Alan for joining us and sharing his expert advice. We do appreciate it. So thank you. You are welcome. It was a pleasure. Now, to find more employment-related shows, head over to aljnradio.com. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future shows, please send me an email at aljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. We're also on Twitter. Please reach out to us at the LJN and let us know your thoughts, and we might even give you a Starbucks gift card. And once again, I'm your host, Katie Chesney with LJN Radio, and I'll see you next time. Music